Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I am Petra Paradez. My cookbook is called Pie for Everyone, Recipes and Stories from Petey's Pie, New York's Best Pie Shop. If you like this podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy cookery by the book. Now on with the show. Pie is the secret of our strength as a nation and the foundation of our industrial supremacy. Pie is the American synonym of prosperity. Pie is the food of the heroic. No pie-eating people can be permanently vanquished. I thought you'd get a kick out of that because that's out of uh, the New York Times in 1902. So amazing. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm a pie lover. I might not go that far, but I love it. Well, I know you did a lot of research at the New York Public Library, right? It's actually something you can do online. Um, They have a lot of uh, menus available online. So you can look at all of these big, beautiful menus, PDFs of antique and vintage menus from uh, decades past from New York City and beyond and see what people were eating. One thing that pretty much all over those menus from past decades is pie for dessert. (laughs) And also pie for main meals as well. But um, when you check out the the New York Public Library database, the menu database, it's a really strong common thread in all of these menus. I've heard it's amazing. It's so much fun to look at. I mean, if you just look up pie and then you see all of these, you know, there's all of these different tags for different menus and they're constantly being uploaded. Just pies you've never heard of or fruits uh, you might not have heard of as well. So Americans really seem to think that pie is ours. The first known written recipe for apple pie dates back to an English cookbook published in 1381. Now, how is pie a culinary vehicle that can travel across millennia and seasons? I think to address that, you kind of have to think about what makes a pie and what your definition of a pie is. If we think of it as a filling that is baked in a crust, there's so many different examples of that across cultures and across huge swaths of the human timeline. (laughs) But, you know, if if it's some sort of grain crust and, and a filling, people have been making that for millennia, way back to the Greeks, the Egyptians. And uh, you can be a little loose with your definition. I mean, what people often cite as the first pies sound to me an awful lot like cheesecake, (laughs) Um, maybe like a sheep's cheese in in an ancient grain crust. Um, And that's part of why I think cheesecake is pie too, by the way. (laughs) I was going to ask you that. Is cheesecake cake or pie? I think of it as cake. Some versions strike me much more as a, as a cake-like dessert, and then some versions I think are more tart-like or, or pie-like in, um, in the sense that they have a much you know more clearly defined crust and then an egg and cheese-based custard or filling that is baked inside of it. I think of cake as something more with a leavener and uh, you know a crumb to it. Some cheesecakes have that. I like it fluffy, but not necessarily with a crumb. But yeah, I mean, I think pie in general is such like an amazing vehicle because you can kind of take whatever your spices and fruits and 
or even savory elements that are part of your cultural cuisine and stuff them in a crust and bake them. I'm curious to hear about how you grew up in a pie business that your parents started in 1981. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's sounding farther and farther away. <laughs> years go on, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, my my parents started their pie business sort of out of desperation. They had been farming for a while. Their small farm operation went under, and they noticed that there was a dearth of good pies at the farmers market. And my dad, being this sort of um, you know analytical guy with strong opinions, thought I can probably do that. Not having been a professional baker in the past, uh, he and my mom, they started, uh, you know, making pies in their house and selling them at the farmer's market. And before they knew it, it was popular enough that they had to define themselves as a brand and a company. And they decided to call it mom's apple pie company, thinking that it sort of conveyed this sense of, I don't know, sort of like an Americana, some sort of, you know, wholesome family values, mom and apple pie. But really they were just like a pretty destitute uh, hippies without stable housing <laughs> um, who, who didn't know what else to do. And, and you know, my dad was guided by his strong opinions of what a, a good pie should taste like. Um, and he was able to use that to guide him towards uh, his goal of making those pies. And people responded really well. But I would say that my upbringing was quite different from, you know, my peers and that I... I knew exactly what my parents did for a living. They made pies. <laughs> and, you know, every Thanksgiving I would take the week off of school and work <laughs> alongside my parents at the bakery. And, and it wasn't that we were valuable workers when we were, you know, eight, 10, 14. Um, it's more that they didn't have the time to take us to school. <laughs> so they were doing a lot of, you know, all nighters and probably wasn't even safe for them to drive around at that point. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so we were alongside them wrapping up pies, taking them to customers, doing all of the little odd jobs, but feeling very important about it too. Okay. So when you used to go to the restaurants, your dad would critique the crust of other pies. We still do it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a really funny habit. I mean, I he, you know, it's one way of taking your work with you <laughs> wherever you go. If you're a, if you're a cook or a, or a baker, um, you can't help but observe these things. It, if you go out to eat at a restaurant, it, he was pretty funny about it. He, he, you know, his brow gets really furrowed and he looks super serious and he's like looking at the crust up closed and feeling it with his fingers. It, it can be a little bit embarrassing, except we're all kind of into it. <laughs> you know? so, it's so um, funny. Uh, it's not that he's judgmental. It's just that he gets puzzled because he knows how good pie can be, but you're just so much more often able to find mediocre pie than really excellent pie. So he's just wondering, why, why put it on the menu if it's not going to be really great? And he's, of course, always looking for a super flaky crust and, um, you know, super, super juicy and flavorful filling. And for him, I think it comes down to like the quality of the fruit. He's super picky about those things. So those are all things that I took with me to, to my business when I started my own thing in New York City. Um, with my husband, just those super high standards and wanting to get local fruit that's in season rather than just, you know, have everything available year round. You know, I'm looking for certain things that in my relationship with those farms. And it's mostly just, I'll, I'll take the ugly fruit as long as it's really nice and ripe. 
um, rather than, uh, you know, all the stuff that looks really good, but might not taste as good. Well, that leads us to your high pie standards and your five tenets of a good pie. Let's start with the crust. Right. You say I'm, it should be flavorful and plastic fork tender. Yeah, that means that if you are eating it on a plate, you should be able to eat it with a plastic fork and have no problem getting right through the crust. Crust used to be more of a vehicle for the pie and a, and a, and a vessel for the pie, for the filling of the pie, but we don't have to, you know, carry pie on long journeys <laughs> overseas or in a pocket or whatever. Uh, we can just uh, make a really good crust that we want to eat. I mean, to me, the best crust is butter crust. It should be tender and flaky, like so flaky that it shatters. Um, that's, that's what I'm going for. You have seven types of pie crust in this cookbook. I didn't think there were seven types of pie crust. Yeah, I wanted it to be accessible to people with different diets. So most of the filling recipes are gluten-free. So there's a gluten-free crust option and uh, there's a vegan option as well because all of the fruit pies, with the exception of like one or two fillings, all of the fruit pies in there are also vegan. So um, when I say pie for everyone, I really do want it to be accessible for everybody. And I also think that while the butter crust works great with savory pies, it's definitely the most versatile crust out of all of them. It's nice to have a whole grain crust sometimes. It makes it feel like a much heartier meal if you're having a whole wheat crust or a rye crust, for example, with a savory pie. So you touched on this just a little bit just now, but what should we be looking for in fruit? You just want fruit to be the fullest expression of itself. So fruit at the height of its season is really what you should want, or fruit that's been frozen at the height of its ripeness. You know, if you were to freeze fruit in the summer and use it in the winter, that's going to be so much better than buying that same fruit in the winter if it's out of season where you live. And what I want in a fruit filling is just for those natural flavors to be amplified. And if you just add sugar, you're not really going to amplify it. You have to add sweetness and acidity in good measures. Something that is missing often in fruit fillings is sufficient acidity. To me, lemon juice is always just the best best sort of of acidity to add to a fruit pie. Talk a little bit about the historic precedence of spices in pies. Yeah, well, I've been noticing some pie filling choices that, you know, I might not always agree with. And and I just would have these like knee-jerk reactions to spices with berries, for example. For some reason, that never really, uh, that idea never really appealed to me. And then I was reading um, Amelia Simmons. I'm sure you're familiar with the American cookery, like the first American cookbook, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I noticed that she is equally as opinionated uh, <laughs> as I am about this. And she advises cinnamon and mace and other sort of warm spices to tree fruit like apples. But um, she says that every species of fruit, such as plums, raspberries, blackberries, may only be sweetened without spices. And I thought that was really interesting just to lay it down like a hard and fast rule. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. I mean, ultimately to each her own, but um, but I, I liked that she laid that down so that I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> what should we be thinking about when making chestnut and custard pies? Those pies are so heavily based on like nice fatty ingredients. Like chest and nut pies are based on eggs, butter, and sugar. And then uh, you have custard pies, which are based on 
a variety of dairy, usually like cream and milk and and eggs and sugar. And so to balance out those flavors, I think that you need a, a nice amount of salt, but they also just need to be made out of really quality ingredients. So just really good butter. And I also think that in nut pies, like in a pecan pie, for example, using something other than corn syrup, I know that it's a traditional ingredient in pecan pies, but it's also sort of a bizarre invented food that doesn't really exist in nature at all. And it doesn't exist by any natural means. It's made by a sort of treating sort of a cornstarch slurry with um, enzymes that they get from bacteria and fungi. Um, It's just all too weird for me. (laughs) So I like to use a nice natural sweetener with more character than corn syrup. The only character that corn syrup has is is character that's added through um, vanilla or molasses. So if you like those things, then you might as well use sweeteners that have molasses in them naturally, like a a cane sugar and molasses, or use, um, use honey use maple syrup, those things will add so much more depth and character to a nut pie. And last, what are the do's and don'ts with filling flavors? I've noticed a lot more sort of herbs being added to fruit pies and spices added to berry pies. And I think that sometimes those things might sound more appealing than the end result. And I, I and I just think that you should let your palate be your guide rather than striving to make something unique or or going for a sort of um, what ends up being sort of a gimmick. Um, you know, a classic a classic pie done right will always sort of beat a, a, a bizarre combination any day. And so don't combine things based on how they sound or based on how they might look aesthetically. Think about how their flavors balance each other out and contribute to a more balanced filling of a nice amount of acidity and sweetness and touch of salt. Those are better considerations when you're putting together ideas for a filling. So how is your pie technique different from your dad's? Mm, yeah, I mean, I of course, I learned uh, so much from my dad, and um, I think his butter crust is phenomenal. But when I started making my pies here in New York City, I was making them with local ingredients, and I found that I was learning little things along the way and modifying the crust recipe along the way in ways that suit my ingredients better. But ultimately, the biggest change was I was just like adding more and more butter. I was seeing how... <laughs> how far I could push it. (laughs) So in the crust, I have even more butter and my butter that I get up here, I get mostly from Cream Hill Dairy, which is upstate and Ronnie Brook Dairy, also upstate. So I get super high fat content butter and that makes the crust really excellent. Uh, For the longest time, my lemon chest and almond chest recipes didn't diverge from my dad's at all. And then I thought, maybe I can see if there's a way to have this nice chest pie texture with less sugar. Because I know that the palate of people in New York City is a lot less inclined towards sweetness as compared to in Virginia. So that's one thing that I changed. It meant that I had to sort of add more egg yolk as an emulsifier and keep that filling nice and solid. But um, I was able to reduce sugar and let some of those other flavors come through in the chest pies uh, and maintain that really lovely chest pie texture. Okay, here's the $100,000 question. Okay. Here we go. What is your favorite pie? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. I mean, I have favorites for different occasions. Is that all right? I mean, like today. <laughs> I mean, like right uh, now. Custard, I just, 
actually coconut custard I've loved since I was a kid. And I just loved coconut desserts. I've always loved coconut desserts. My step-grandmother was from Thailand and I spent so much time with her when I was little and ate so much coconut stuff with her. So I, you know, going to my parents' bakery after spending the day with her, I would, I, I really liked coconut custard pie. And it, to me, it's sort of an underdog. Um, although, I think I talk about it enough that it's gotten more popular at our bakery over the years. <laughs> and I think that the very best pie that we make is the berry dream pie. Like that's the one that when people try it, it just consistently knocks their socks off. It's just so, fr- it's like a, just a berry explosion. It's so super fresh, super vibrant. Like the tartness is just like at that sort of maximum where it's still like really tasty and dessert like, but it just really lights up your palate. <laughs> I got the coconut custard over the weekend, which is my favorite kind of pie too. I love anything coconut. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was we're amazing. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I love the, um, just the nice flan like quality. My dad, they make it with that, you know, um, more easy to find, um, sweet like coconut. angel flake type coconut. Yeah, yeah. Which I love. I love that stuff, but it kind of tastes a little far removed from coconut now that I'm an adult. And so, so I liked using unsweetened coconut cause then like unsweetened organic coconut, it's in tinier pieces. It, it, it dries out a little more. So it's in like tithinger pieces, but it's a little easier to slice and more of that pure coconut flavor comes through. Now to my segment called last night's dinner, where I ask you what you had last night for dinner. Oh gosh, what did I, oh yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so last night, my husband makes the most amazing carnitas, and they're so good. And we've realized lately that the only way our two-year-old will, like, finish his dinner is if he's eating Mexican food. <laughs> so now we have to just, like, constantly have tortillas available, constantly have beans cooking. I'll do, like, beans in the pressure cooker when I forget that I haven't made dinner yet. <laughs> I'll just do beans in the pressure cooker real quick. And so like, we'll just do tacos with carnitas and it's so good. Oh man. I'm with your son. I'll be right over. <laughs> I'll yeah, be over tonight. I know. It's like taco Tuesday every day now because they never get sick of it. And it's not worth making a meal that my husband and I will enjoy. And then like trying to feed it to the kids. And then the, the your ego is shattered. Cause you're like, everybody loves my cooking except you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Taco Tuesday every Every night. (laughs) Yeah. Where can we find you on the web, social media, and in New York City? So, at Petey's Pie on Instagram. If you are in New York City, on the Lower East Side, we're on Delancey Street. We've been there coming up on six years at Thanksgiving time. And we have a beautiful cafe in Clinton Hill on Myrtle Avenue in Brooklyn as well now. Well, this was so awesome. Thank you so much, Petra, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much, Susie. I had a lot of fun. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.